It's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of April 27th, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. And speaking of commercials, I keep thinking there ought to be a commercial for Firefox. The browser four out of five geeks recommend to their friends. Probably true, except the numbers would more likely be like nine out of ten instead of four out of five. Or maybe 99 out of 100. Firefox continues to gain on Internet Explorer. I figure it probably won't surpass IE's number, and oh, until about the time Beezlebub begins to feel the need for a heavy winter coat. So I'm not exactly holding my breath. Yet, for many of us, Firefox is the better browser, despite its flaws, and it does have flaws. That's why I've been anxiously awaiting the release of Firefox 3. It's been in development for about three years, and now it is in its fifth beta release. I generally try to avoid beta applications, but I downloaded Firefox 3 for the Mac and installed it. I like what the developers have created. However, I learned the hard way not to ask for help. I probably should point out that Firefox 3 is also installed on the latest version of Ubuntu Linux. Ubuntu Linux upgraded this past week to version 8, and Firefox 3 came along with it. And I also actually broke down and installed it on Windows. On both Linux and Windows, I can run the older version of Firefox, version 2, and the new one, version 3. If you do that on on the Mac, you're going to replace Firefox 2 with Firefox 3, unless you know the trick. There is a trick, and it's a fairly involved trick to get both to run. When I looked at the Firefox download page, it reinforced the fact that software development today is simply mind-boggling. Firefox was developed for three major platforms, Windows, Mac, and Linux, and also some other platforms. It is available on at least those major platforms in 40 to 45 languages. It's supported in a total of 45 languages, from Afrikaans to Ukrainian. Not every platform has every language, but most of them have all the languages. This would be impressive for a commercial company to do. It's even more so because the development is largely done by volunteers. So how did it work? Well, downloading and installing Firefox 3 Beta 5 was routine, but the first thing I noticed when I opened version 3, no surprise, was that most of the plugins will no longer work. The next thing you'll see is a welcome page for version 3. This is the screen that Firefox users know they're going to see after every upgrade, major or minor. It simply indicates that the upgrade was a success. Some new users think that Firefox replaces their home page every time there's an update, and they manually restore their home page. Not necessary. This page will show up only once. Now, about those plugins, they're generally certified to work only with a particular release of an application. The plugin asks the application what version it is, and if the version is outside the range known to be compatible, the plugin simply won't work. Many, probably most, version 2 plugins will work with version 3, but a lot of them say that they can't because version 3 is outside the limit of what they know they can work with. The solution is fairly simple. You lie to them. 
In my case, I downloaded the latest version of Dave Townsend's Nightly Tester Tool. Run that, and all your installed plugins will think that they can work with version 3, even if they can't. Most of them will work fine, but there's no guarantee. As I always do with any new application, I looked through the menu to see what, if anything, was new, and when I clicked on Help, nothing happened for a while. Keep in mind, I'm on a Mac here. And then I got the spinning beach ball of death. The only option was to force quit Firefox. Well, that's got to be a fluke, I figured. So I started Firefox again and clicked help. Beach ball of death. Not wanting to be a quitter, I opened Firefox again, opened no sites, and clicked help. Beach ball of death. I repeated that enough times and under enough conditions that it was clear to me that clicking help would always crash Firefox on at least my Apple notebook. Well, it is beta software, after all. This might be a problem, I thought, for all users, for all Apple users, or just for me. Well, I've ruled out all users, since I now have version 3, beta 5, installed under both Linux and Windows. I know that this problem doesn't affect Linux and Windows users. I don't know if it affects all Apple users, or just me. The Mozilla organization describes the features that are new to version 3 of Firefox this way. Firefox 3 is based on the Gecko 1.9 web rendering platform, which has been under development for the past 32 months. Building on the previous release, Gecko 1.9 has more than 12,000 updates, including some major re-architecting to provide improved performance, stability, rendering correctness, and code simplification and sustainability, all very good things. Firefox 3 has been built, they say, on top of this new platform, resulting in a more secure, easier to use, more personal product with a lot more under the hood to offer website and Firefox add-on developers. Firefox 3 Beta 5 has more than 750 changes from the previous beta. Most of those changes improve stability and compatibility. If you're interested in, well, not even the whole list, if you're interested in the reduced list, you can find that on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. And it's a very long page. The major sections are security, ease of use, personalization, improvements for developers, and improved performance. Rough edges still persist in the beta version. Most of those are going to be gone by the time Firefox 3 is released to manufacturing, but some undoubtedly will remain. I like Firefox. It is my primary browser. Someday, it might be the primary browser for most people. I open very few spams accidentally. Once a month or so, there's one that fools me into thinking it's a legitimate message, and I actually open it. The rest are simply so blatantly obvious that they're deleted before they can even get to my computer. I terminate them on the server. But I also open spams when I think they might lead to an interesting phishing account, or maybe provide a bit of entertainment in taking them apart. So for a couple of days this past week, I paid closer attention to subject lines and noted some that are particularly amusing. In the interest of good taste, I will omit any references to ones that describe an innocent someone engaging in some sort of sexual activity. These invariably also include the word hardcore. Somehow innocent and hardcore just don't seem to mix. So here's a list of spams that I found particularly laughable in one 48-hour period. 
Stalin took this pills two times per day before food. I might remind you that Stalin died in 1953. Why would I be interested in pills that he took? Forward, your academic qualification expired. You know, the last time I checked, college degrees were good for life. Flush out excess pounds from your colon. I presume this is some sort of diet that proposes to help you shed pounds by inducing diarrhea. Sounds like a plan to me. Get paid to play solitaire online. So someone's going to pay me to play solitaire online? I don't think so. No per script ion needed here. Oh, no prescription needed. It would be nice if they could spell it. You know, if you could spell prescription, I might actually. Nah, I still wouldn't believe you. World's leading pills at dirt cheap prices. Excuse me, could you write fraud just a little larger, please? Ah, here's one. Convert your car to burn water. True, water contains hydrogen. Hydrogen is highly flammable, can be used as fuel. But it costs a lot of energy to liberate that hydrogen. This converting cars to burn water stuff has been around since the 50s. Remember the high-priced gas in the 50s? Well, here's a message from Elvira Carmichael, supposedly to Bonita Bloom. Why it came to me, I don't know. The subject was, I wanted to give someone a sexually transmitted disease, e.g. herpes or AIDS. Hey, somebody actually got e.g. right. Most people would make the mistake of putting I.E. there. Well, <laughs> I'd open that at your own risk. First name, are you using YouTube to earn dollar signs? Hmm. I would suggest to this spammer that he learn how to use his email mass mailer and replace first name with my actual first name. Oh, here's one. Wanted, movie extras and actors in your area. No experience required. Yeah, you know, I have noticed how many movies are being made here in central Ohio. There are just film crews all... Oh, well... Have you seen one lately? Yeah, neither have I. Studied specifically in older people, therefore it may not stone. Well, if it won't stone, I certainly don't want it. Very cheap price, bachelor, master, MBA, and doctorate, diplome, dip, dip, uh, dip, one, omas. Okay, this is from one of those prestigious non-accredited universities, isn't it? It might be a little more believable if they could actually spell bachelor, master, and doctorate, or even the word diploma. Here's a message from Love Virus. Yeah, I'm going to open that one. Pardon my German. Brauchen Sie einen Nebenjob? Okay, I don't speak German, but Google tells me that this translates roughly to need a part. Well, actually, no, I don't. The extramarital son of John Kennedy appeared in Canada. Well, if such a person existed, why would I even care? Find wonderful and despicable OEM programs for PC and Apple Mac OS. Sorry, I have enough despicable OEM programs. Your life will be extended after just one click. Now, I'm worried that this one might be from the Mafia. Is this an offer I can't refuse? Sorry, no sale. Newly available Living Dolphin screensaver. Download yours today. Yeah, right. I'm going to download something offered by a spammer.
Then there were three messages claimed to come from a Melissa Whitaker. I was pressured into doing it. I wanted him, her, to stop bugging me about sex, and I was verbally coerced into doing it. Melissa Whitaker certainly seems to have a lot of problems, and I'm fairly sure I don't want to be involved in any of them. Well, then one came in that I decided to look at. I have a Skype account, but the message came to an address Skype doesn't know about. Please update your billing information, it said, and it suggested that I go to what looked like a Skype URL. Except the actual URL went to a domain called 6b8x45.cn. CN, as we all know by now, is China. Or at least that's where the domain is registered. Doesn't necessarily mean that's where it is. In this case, it's not anywhere. By the time I had the opportunity to take a look, it was gone. The name associated with the URL, Richard Shoemaker, may or may not be the name of a real person who may or may not be associated with the site. The name of the server doesn't have an IP address. It had already been taken down by the time I decided to go look and see what it was. Sneaky. Oh, and speaking of sneaky, Apple's tried to sneak Safari onto my computer again and once again failed. I don't know whether it's Bill Gates or Steve Jobs who has the larger ego, but I do know that it's Jobs' ego that grates more. He calls iTunes the best Windows application ever written. And he seems to think that I want a security-challenged copy of Safari on my computer. Recent iTunes updates have included Safari selected by default. I always deselect it, but it really wouldn't matter if I left it selected because Apple's software engineers seem not to understand how to write an installer that works with Vista. I prefer Winamp to iTunes because it can work with my iPod and with another MP3 player that I own for use at the gym. So, although I keep the latest version of iTunes on my computer, it's more than a little annoying when Apple offers the latest version of iTunes and includes Safari, which I do not want. And, in fact, sometimes the Apple updater pops up and offers Safari all by itself. doesn't even bother to hide behind an iTunes update. Memo to Steve Jobs. I do not want Safari on my Windows machine. It's okay on the Mac but I prefer Firefox on both Windows and Mac machines. So will you please just bug off? What's really amusing, or possibly annoying, about all this is that Apple's software engineers don't exactly understand Vista. When I try to install the latest version of iTunes without Safari, the result is failure. The iTunes installer needs enhanced permissions that can be obtained only by running as administrator. This isn't rocket surgery, Steve. If you need that, you really ought to tell people that they have to choose it. And your installer can't choose that by itself. The only way to get the latest version of iTunes on your Vista computer is to download the installer independently and then run it as administrator. Unfortunately, the installation process seems not to be able to communicate with the iTunes updater, which continues to beg me to update an instance of iTunes that has already been updated. Best Windows application ever. Yeah, right. In nerdly news, Samsung is about to release LCD screens with a contrast ratio of 20,000 to 1. And yes, you heard that right, 20,000 to 1. 
Contrast ratio is the ratio of the luminance of the brightest white on the screen to the darkest black. The higher the contrast, the more snap a monitor has. By comparison, a well-run movie theater with a brand new film print will have an on-screen contrast ratio of about 500 to 1. Early LCD screens on your computer had maybe half that, in some cases even less. So now Samsung is talking about 20,000 to 1 in its touch-of-color LCD line for desktops. This is the same contrast ratio that Samsung claims for its high-definition televisions. The line includes 19-inch, 22-inch, 24-inch, and 26-inch screens. Oh, wow, that's big. The screens will retail for $260, $360, $500, and $600, respectively. Yes, that's a little on the expensive side. But considering the specifications, those prices are pretty darn reasonable. In addition, Samsung says that the smaller monitors will have an average pixel response time of 2 milliseconds. That makes them more than adequate for games with fast-moving components. Even the larger models check in at a respectable 5 millisecond average pixel response time. The two larger models will have an HDMI input. This will allow them to play full high-definition video from Blu-ray or other HD video sources. I don't think we're going to see billions and billions sold signs out front of Seagate's headquarters anytime soon. But the company says it has now shipped its one billionth hard drive. The company's first drive was shipped in 1979, an ST-506, 1500 bucks, And for your $1,500, you got a 5-megabyte hard drive. That works out to about $300 per megabyte in 1979 dollars. I thought I got a real deal a few years later with a 16 megabyte drive about the size of a shoebox for around 1200 dollars. That's all the way down to 75 dollars a megabyte. Well now you can find a 100 gigabyte drive for less than a hundred dollars and that works out to less than less than a tenth of a cent per megabyte. If you put all those drives that Seagate has created over the years into a single room and hooked them up to a very large computer, it would probably blow a fuse. But if it didn't, you'd have 79 million terabytes of capacity. That, by the way, would be sufficient, according to Seagate, for about 158 billion hours of digital video, or 1.2 trillion hours of MP3 songs. Those initial PC hard drives were five and a quarter inches across. Although large by today's standard, that was a miracle of miniaturization back then in the years before 1980. In those days, hard disk drives were often freestanding devices about the size of a small washing machine. The original Seagate drives weighed in at only about 5 pounds. Today's 100 gigabyte drives are 3.5 inches wide, less than an inch thick. That compares to the original drives that were several inches tall. Seagate says it ships more than 100 terabytes of disk space every day. Seagate has about 35% of the hard disk market. Western Digital checks in second at 23%. Wow, a billion hard drives. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of April 27, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you want, you can send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.